0: Thank you, Terry and Sharon. Turn your Bibles again to the book of Galatians, please. <clears throat> Galatians chapter 6. As you're turning there, I want to express my gratitude to you that you continue to pray for me. I'm so grateful. Uh, I am doing much better. I'm getting stronger. I'm not quite there yet, but I am getting that, going that direction. But one thing I feel you continue to pray for me pray for my voice. Uh, because after I had the heart attack, I had uh, double pneumonia, then I caught COVID, I prayed, I prayed, I coughed <laughs> continually for days after that and it affected my voice box. And so it's affected my voice and after I speak for a while, I get kind of raspy and you may hear that at times. Uh, that's the reason we've been alternating between myself and Pastor Bloom in the early service and 11 o'clock service so my voice could... Uh, Get better. This is the first Sunday since January that I'm doing all three in the row. I did the early service. I spoke last uh, hour for Sunday school, and this is my third uh, time speaking this morning. I had Pastor Bloom on uh, standby for me, but continue to pray for me if it would please it. It will hold out even this hour. All right, we're continuing our study on li- life-changing prince- biblical principles. We're looking at principles from God's word that can literally change your life if you apply it. Uh, Someone once said, a man's spirituality is not measured by how much he knows, but how much he does with what he knows. Many of us have great knowledge of the Bible, but we're not very spiritual. And so your spirituality will again be measured not by how much you know, but how much you do with what you know. So what I'm talking about, these principles many of you know already. But the question is, have you applied them to your life? How are they are part of your everyday behavior? Do they affect how you live and how you seek to honor the Lord? So we've looked at biblical principles. The first one we looked at was the principle of ownership. Then we looked at the principle of the temporal versus the eternal. Then we looked at the principle of the crucified life. Today, I'd like to look at what is called the principle of sowing and reaping. The principle of sowing And reaping. Somebody else is excited about my message over there. (laughs) First of all, in our passage here, we're going to look at what is called a solemn warning. A solemn warning. Look in verse 7, please. Galatians 6, verse 7. What are the first three words there? Be not deceived. So there's a warning here of being deceived. Someone once said, a person that's deceived doesn't know he's deceived, otherwise he wouldn't be deceived think about that a person that's deceived doesn't know he's deceived, otherwise he wouldn't be deceived and hear this phrase, be not deceived, the apostle Paul uses it two other times in scripture I'd like to briefly look at those and come back to this, because this is a serious warning, because God's people are being deceived in many areas and we're going to look at one of them here mainly today, but if you would please go with me now to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Keep your finger here in Galatians. 1 Corinthians 6, page 1607. Here is a warning, a deception of who is saved. A deception of who is saved. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Look for the phrase, be not deceived. This is one of the three times the Apostle Paul uses this in his In verse 9, 1 Corinthians 6 verse 9, it said, verse 9, it said, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. What's the next three words? Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor violers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. I wish we had time to cover each one of these little individual sins he mentions here, but we don't have time. But basically, what he's saying here is this, that if a person claims to be saved, and these sins mentioned here is an everyday active part of their life, basically their life is characterized by these sins. In fact, Galatians, excuse me, in the book of Galatians, talks about these are sins, basically deeds of the flesh. And it says, whosoever does these things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. What he's saying here, if a person claims to be saved and his life is characterized by these behaviors and that his, he habitually practices on an everyday basis and he does not experience or see the conviction of the Holy Spirit in his life or experience God's chastisement, that man's deceived thinking he's saved when he's not. Now, it does not mean Christians cannot do these things. In fact, in First Corinthians, you'll read about people that did these things. It does not mean you can lose your salvation. But it means if a man says, I'm a Christian, but his life is characterized by habitual practice of these behaviors, he does not experience the chastisement of God or the conviction of the Holy Spirit of those sins, that man deceives himself and he's not saved. That's the first deception there. The second deception, go to chapter 15, please. Chapter 15, please. We could spend more time on each one of these, but that's not the message today. Page 1620. We saw the deception of who was saved, but also the deception by the influence of ungodly company. A deception... Concerning the influence of ungodly company. And notice here in 1 Corinthians 15, 33, what's the first three words? Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. The word communication means company, companions, or friends. So many Christians today have friends that are ungodly. They're not living like they ought to, whether they're saved or unsaved. And they think If I as a godly person spend time with them, maybe my godliness will rub off on them. That my godliness will make them ungodly, godly. If you think that, you're deceived. What he's saying here, evil company corrupts good manners. Basically, you don't rub off on them, they rub off on you. If I have a big bowl of nice, fresh, ripe apples, you just look forward to a good, juicy bite. But I have a rotten one over here. And I want to tell you that rotten will make it good. If I put it with those bad, uh, that bad apple with a good apple, what happens? The bad apple makes all the good apples bad. And so basically the same true spiritually. You may be the wonderful, most godly person in the world. But if you hang around friends that are ungodly that constantly does things wrong, my friend, you will become like them. And they will not become like you. Proverbs 13, 20. He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. So, so many Christians are deceived, thinking that I can be, make them better by hanging around them. In the process, they make you worse by you hanging around them. But the warning here is be not saying the warning. Go back to Galatians, please. He said, Be not deceived. God is not mocked, for whatsoever man soweth, that shall they also reap. People think, well, I can just do this and see no consequences from it. My friend, if that's true, you'll be deceived. But not only is a warning about deception, but also a warning that God is not mocked. Look at it again in verse 7. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. The word "mock" means to turn up the nose or sneer at. People think, well, look what I'm doing. I see no effects from it. In other words, they mock God. And I'm, I have grandchildren that play over house quite often. They play all the time. Many times they play tag and play chase. And one time I saw them playing chase, and, tagged and one of them tagged the other. And all of a sudden they go, Nana, Nana, Boo-Boo, you can't catch me. <laughs> and so many people do that with God. They do something that's wrong, and say, Nana, Nana, Boo-Boo, I got by with it. My friend, you're mocking God, and God will not be mocked. My friend, there's a warning here of being deceived and God will not be mocked. Number two, we saw a solemn warning. Number two, an immutable law. An immutable law. You might know what the word immutable means? Unchanging, it will not change. For example, the law of gravity. The law of gravity will not change. As a boy, I remember challenging that. I had a baseball, and I threw it up in the air. You know what happened? It come back down. And I said, I'll throw it higher in the air. And guess what happened? It come back down. So I really swung my arm, and I threw it as hard as I could, high as I could, and guess what? It come back down. Because of a law called gravity that's immutable. It will not change. But there's another law in Scripture that's uh, interchangeable, immutable. It's the law of sowing And reaping. A law that will not change. And there's three principles concerning this law, and please write them down. They're they're on your sheet there. If you did not, uh, if you got a handout from your bulletin, please use that. Fill in the blanks from the screen. The first principle of the law of sowing and reaping is that you will reap what you sow. You will reap what you sow. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. This is an agricultural principle, basically that Paul applies to moral and spiritual realm of life. Uh, Remember, I grew up on a farm and my dad always had a big garden. And he always had my brother and I help him plant the garden. He wanted to have some corn. And so he had a push plow, he'd push with us, and behind him, one of us had to plant little kernels of corn. And the one behind that had to cover it up. But I noticed, you know, uh how often we planted corn. Guess what always come up? Corn. It never produced watermelon. It never produced grapefruit. It never produced apples. If you sowed corn, you got corn. And that's true in the Christian life. So whatsoever man soweth that shall he also reap. Each sower decides what the harvest will be. First, for example, if you sow a life of sin, you will reap the consequences of sin. As a Christian, if you sow a life of sin, you will reap the consequences of sin. Job chapter 4 verse 8 said this, Even as I have seen, they that plow iniquity and sow wickedness reap the same. Now go with me, please. Hold your finger here in Galatians. Go with me now to Psalms 51, please. Psalm 51. We're we'll going to look at the believer's sin. What happens when a believer sins? By the way, as Christians, do we still sin? Now, if you say no, then you just sinned. <laughs> we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But Psalm 51, page 858, if you use in a church Bible. If you sow a life of sin, you will reap the consequences of sin. But here in Psalm 51, this is David's, King David's confession. David, the Bible said, was a man for God's own heart. But David was guilty of a horrible sin. David was guilty of murder and guilty of adultery. And here in Psalm 51, he's making confession for those sins. He said in Psalm 51, verse 1, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness." According to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. How many grateful for God's cleansing? Amen. You know, First John one nine. you know the verse, "If he confess our sin, he's what? Faithful. He's faithful, and just to forgive and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I'm so grateful for the cleansing power of his blood. And so David is talking about that. In fact, it's so wonderful. Isaiah 1:18. Isaiah said, Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red as crimson, they shall be as wool. That's what the blood of Christ can do. When we sin as Christians, we confess that sin, he's faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse. But listen carefully, please. Forgiveness may remove the offense of sin. It does not remove the consequence of sin. Don't miss that. Forgiveness will remove the offense of sin, but not the consequences. Many believers say, well, pastor, they think to themselves, I know what I'm going to do is wrong. I know I should not be doing it, but I just confess it and got to forgive it. Praise the Lord. He will forgive it, but you will experience the consequences. He may wipe the slate clean. You may stand before him white as snow, but you will still experience the consequences of your sin he that soweth a life of sin will experience the consequences of sin. Now, please listen. The consequences may be one of two things. It may be temporary. It may be temporary. Are you still there in Psalm 51? Look in verse 7, please. Here it talks about the temporary consequences of sin that David experienced. In chapter 51, verse 7, again he says, Purge me with hyssop. I shall be clean Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Verse 8. Make me to hear joy and what? You know what he lost because of his sin? The joy of the Christian life. The gladness he had as a Christian. He lost that. That was a consequence of his sin. Verse 11. Another consequence. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Basically, he knew because of his sin, God would leave him. Listen carefully, please. That is not true today. That was true in the Old Testament. But under the dispensation of grace, he says, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. So we never have to pray for God not to take his spirit from us. He's always with us. But David, he would. One of the consequences of his sin, the Lord will leave him. Now, we may lose the manifestation of his presence or the joy of his presence. But we will not lose his presence. But there are consequences for sin. Another one, look in verse 12. He says, restore unto me the joy of what? He did not say restore unto me my salvation. He didn't lose his salvation. He lost the joy. That's another consequence of sin. And when we choose a life of sin, there are consequences. There may be a temporary loss of the joy of salvation, loss of the peace and blessings of God, broken fellowship with God, and chastisement of God but these are all consequences of sin many of them are temporary but listen carefully please there are some that are lifetime there are some consequences that are lifetime for example if a man who is an alcoholic a drunkard come to Christ as Savior would God forgive him of that sin yes praise the Lord he would but he drank most of his life God forgave him and cleansed him but now he begins to suffer physically because of the effects of alcohol he may have to live with the cirrhosis of the liver, other problems because of his sin. God forgave him, but the consequences he had was it would last a lifetime. Another one, I use my mother. I love my mother. She's in heaven now. My mother, in a young age, used to smoke a lot, smoked all the time, and eventually, in her life, she realized her body was God's temple. She prayed for deliverance, and God gave her victory over that. But in her older age, she had what is called COPD. She could not hardly breathe. That was the effects of her smoking. She had to live with that. Though God may forgave her for that effect upon the temple of God. But she had to live with that. I read a story about a man that was given a lifetime sentence in prison. Because of some horrible crime he did. And while he was in there, a chaplain came by and led him to Christ. He trusted Christ as Savior. And so, but he was in prison for the rest of his life. While he was in there... He took up the hobby of sowing. And another prisoner came by and saw him in his uh, prison cell. He said, hey friend, I see you're sowing. He said, no, I'm reaping. I'm reaping a lifetime in prison because of my sin. God forgave him that sin, cleansed him, but he still suffered the consequences. So don't forget that, Christian. When you're tempted to sin, will God forgive you? Praise the Lord. Yes, he will but you will suffer the consequences. Some are temporary, some are lifetime. That's true, Sowing to into the flesh. But also, if we sow a life of righteousness, you will reap God's blessings and rewards. If you sow a life of righteousness, you will reap God's blessings and rewards. A verse will be on the screen. Colossians 3, 23. And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord, knowing that of the Lord you shall receive the reward of the inheritance for you serve the Lord Christ. So the first principle of sowing and reaping is what? You shall reap what you sow. Number two, the second one, letter B, is you'll reap more than you sow. You will reap more than you sow. In Galatians chapter 6, look in verse 8, please. For he that soweth to the flesh... Shall of the flesh reap corruption? But he that soweth to the spirit shall of the spirit reap life everlasting. Hosea put it this way, chapter eight, verse seven: And they that sow the wind shall reap the whirlwind. You will reap more than you sow. He speaks of this in the two categories again. First of all, sowing to the flesh. He that soweth to the flesh shall reap corruption. Sowing to the flesh means, as a Christian, you decide to live according to the desired temptation of your sinful flesh. That person's called carnal. All of us have that flesh. It did not go away when you were saved. And so many Christians live according to the flesh, not according to the spirit. And if you live a life according to the flesh, you will reap a life of corruption. He will reap physical, moral, spiritual rottenness and ruin. That's what the flesh can bring to the Christian life physical, moral, spiritual, rottenness, ruin. I read the other day, it says many Christians will sow the wild oats all week long and come to church and pray for crop failure. And it won't happen. Will God forgive you? Yes, he will. But you have to suffer the consequences. That's true of sowing to the flesh, but also true of sowing to the spirit. Look at the latter part of verse 8. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall the Spirit reap life everlasting. Sowing to the Spirit means that you live your life according to the promptings, the direction of the Holy Spirit, that you're Spirit-filled. You allow the Spirit to control you and not the flesh. And the Bible said if you do that, you shall reap life everlasting. This expression describes not only life that endures forever, but primarily means the highest quality of life that a believer can experience. The highest quality of life you can experience is by being controlled by the Holy Spirit. He will experience, first of all, the abundant life on earth. The abundant life on on this earth. John 10.10, Jesus said, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and destroy, but I am come that you might have life and have it more what? That's a result, that's a consequence of being led by the Spirit. But also not only he'll experience the abundant life on earth, but an abundant entrance into heaven. An abundant entrance into heaven. Second Peter chapter one, verse eleven. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He is not saying, living according to the Spirit, will get you to heaven. It means when you get there you're going to have an abundant entrance. You have rewards and recognition and praise from the God you served. So basically, you reap what you sow, and you reap far more than you sow. And this was also taught by Christ. Hold your finger in Galatians. Go now to Luke 6, please. Luke chapter 6, page 1441. Everybody turn with me, please. I want you to see Jesus taught the same principle during his earthly ministry. You will reap what you sow. You will reap more than you sow. You sow to the flesh, you will reap corruption. You sow to the spirit, you will reap life everlasting. But notice now, Jesus said in Luke 6 I want there's certain words if you don't mind, maybe you can underline or at least make a mental note in this passage of scripture. He said verse 35. <clears throat> he says, "But love. Love your enemies." Do good. Circle the word love. Circle the word do good. Do good and lend, hoping for nothing again. And your reward shall be great. And you shall be the children of the highest. For he is kind. Circle the word kind. Unto the unthankful and to the evil. <clears throat> Verse 36. <clears throat> but it said, be ye therefore merciful. Circle the word merciful. As your father also is Merciful. Judge not, that you should, shall not be judged. Condemn not, you shall not be condemned. Forgive, circle the word forgive. And it, ye shall be forgiven. Then verse 38, he says, give. And it shall be given unto you. Now, so often, and I've done this before, we use that phrase, verse there, forgiving of our finances. But if you notice the context, what, is it, what are you giving? You're giving love, doing good, being kind, Being merciful, forgiving. God says, give and it shall be forgiven unto you. You reap what you sow, but read on. You reap more than you sow. Give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men give to your bosom. Basically, he taught the same thing. You sow a life of love, compassion, mercy, forgiveness, kindness, doing good. You are going to reap the same and far more than you sowed. That's what Jesus taught. So the first principle of the law of sown reaping, you will reap, say it with me please, what you sow. Number two, you will reap more than you sow. Number three, you will reap later than you sow. You will reap later than you sow. This is also true, both negative and positive. Sow into the flesh. You will reap later than you sow. Hebrews... 313, the verse will be on the screen. It says, But exhort one another daily while it's called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Now the question is, how is sin deceitful? Two ways. It cannot deliver what it promises. Sin will promise you a wonderful life. It will promise you joy and happiness and fulfillment. It may be temporarily, but it is not uh, will not last so it deceives you so basically it pr- cannot deliver the promises but it also tells you can get by with it in other words you can live in sin you can enjoy pleasure of sin for what a season and sin will say hey look you got by with it it's deceitful because my friend you will reap what you sow more than you sow but also later than you sow you may enjoy sin for a while and see no consequences. But my friend, the chickens will come home to roost. They will come home. Uh, Numbers 32, 23. It says, behold, you have sinned against the Lord. And be sure your sin will find you out. If you're here this morning, you're a believer and you're involved with something you know is sinful. Say, pastor, I've been doing it for a while and see no consequences. Be sure your sin will find you out. That's not what I said. It's what the Bible says. Let me give you an example. Can I give an Old Testament example of a man who experienced all three principles? David. Go with me now, please, to 2 Samuel 12, please. Keep your finger in Galatians. 2 Samuel 12, page 496. Everybody turn to me with this, please. David reaped what he sowed, David reaped more than he sowed and David reaped later than he sowed. Second Samuel chapter 12 we saw David's confession in Psalm 51. Remember David was guilty of two sins that caused God's judgment. He was guilty of murder and guilty of adultery. He did both of these secretly. He did one act of death Pending murder, and also one act of adultery. But I want you to notice here, in 2 Samuel chapter 12, this was at least nine months later. He was enjoying his sin for at least nine months, if not longer. Did not confess it, did not acknowledge it before God. So God sent a prophet by the name of Nathan. And he gives a little story, you can read about it, verses 1 through 6. But in the story, he applied David, to said, David, verse 7, thou art the man. Read on. Verse 9. Wherefore, because what he done, thou hast despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight. Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with a sword and hast taken his wife to be, his wife to be thy wife. Verse 10. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from thy house because thou hast despised me. Thou hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. Verse 11. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against thee at thy own house. I will take thy wives before thine eyes and give them to thy neighbor, and he shall lie with thy wives in the sight of the sun. Thou hast did this secretly, and I will do this thing before all Israel, before the sun. Listen carefully, please. This ought to scare every Christian to death. When you're contemplating sin, David sinned secretly, One time. He is guilty of death of another person. He put a a man to death. And God said, the sword, death, shall never depart of your house. Though you did it once, you're going to live with it for the rest of your life. For example, he reaped death, the child that was born unto him because of his adult relationship with Bathsheba, the child died. We can see that in verse 14. But also, David's son Absalom murdered David's son, Amnon. David's son, uh, Absalom, was killed by Joab, the military captain. In other words, he lost several family members in death because of his death. He reaped what he sowed. He reaped more than he sowed, both in death but also in morality. Interesting, verse 11. God said, I will raise up evil against thee out of thy own house. I will take thy wives before thine eyes and give them to thy neighbor and shall be in uh, sight of all the sun. You know what he did? Absalom sought to take this throne from his father. David had to flee in his own life. Then Absalom takes all of David's wives, goes up to the house before all Israel and lays with them publicly before all Israel. What David did secretly, he, he uh, suffered the consequences publicly. All his wives Committed fornication before all Israel, but also David's other son raped his sister. I find David reaped what he sowed. He reaped far more than he sowed, and he reaped later than he sowed. Oh, we might learn from that. When you are contemplating, maybe here today and you're saved, and you're contemplating some unfaithfulness, some immorality, oh, I beg you. Stop. Stop. Learn from David. Don't you think David, if he could turn back time, he would not have done what he did? He suffered what he sowed. He suffered more than he sowed. And he suffered later than he sowed. But he suffered the consequences. That's true, sow into the flesh. But it's also true, sow into the spirit. Look in verse 9, Galatians 6, verse 9, please. Talk about reaping later than you sow. In verse 9, he says, Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season you shall reap if you what? Faint not. Here is a notes from the Life Application Bible. Listen to what was written there. It is discouraging to continue to do right and receive no word of thanks nor see no tangible results. Paul challenged the Galatians And he's challenging us today to keep on doing good and trust God for the results. In due time, you shall reap a harvest of blessings. They don't come right away. Therefore, many Christians say, I'm going to give up. I've been doing this a long time and see no results. My friend, don't give up. Be not weary in well doing. Paul here gives the Christian three things. First of all, an exhortation, an exhortation not to give up. He said, Let us not be weary. And well done. The word weary means to grow weak, to give up, to be tired out, has the idea to retreat in battle, uh, give up the fight. He says, don't do that. He gives an exhortation not to give up, but also a promise to reap rewards. There's a promise to reap rewards. It said, for in due season, you shall what? Reap. So many of us do right, and we see no results. And we're tempted to say, I quit. No matter how hard I try, I don't see any results from it. God says, Be not weary in well doing. You shall reap uh, in due season. The reaping will come in God's proper time, which may be only in part in this life, but in full the judgment seat of Christ. But you shall reap what you sow. The harvest time will come. And lastly, here it says, Not only is an exhortation not to give up, a promise to reap rewards, but an admonition not to quit. Not to quit. For in due season, you shall reap if you, what? Faint not, that you don't give up and quit. So number one, we saw a solemn warning. Number two, an immutable law. And number three, let us do good. Let us do good. Look in verse 10, and we'll wrap it up with this. Verse 10, and one more verse after this. In verse 10, it says, As we have therefore opportunity let us do good unto all men, especially unto the, them for the household of faith. In other words, because, he says, therefore, because you'll reap what you sow, more than you sow, later than you sow. He says, let us do good. When? At every opportunity. As we have their opportunity, any, time, any opportunity to do what's right, do it. Also, do it unto all men. It says, let us do good unto all men. Everybody, both saved and unsaved alike. Then he says, especially to other believers, especially to them who are the household of faith. So basically, because you will reap what more and later than you sow, he says, sow right deeds. Do what's right. Don't quit. Don't give up. Do it at every opportunity. Do it to both saved and unsaved, but especially to other believers. Close your Bibles, please. I know I covered a lot. Thank you for paying attention. But these are principles that will literally change your life if you apply them. I want to, something I repeated over and over again. I want to see if you're paying attention. And maybe you can say it with me. First of all, we saw a solemn warning. we were warned and also God will not, uh, be, he said be not deceived. God is not mocked. Then we saw uh, immutable law, a law of sowing and reaping. And three things about that law, remember the word, three principles. Number one, say it with me, you will reap what you sow. Number two, you will reap more than you sow. And number three, you will reap later than you sow. And he says, because that's true, both negative and positive, then apply it positive. Sow to the Spirit. And you may not see results immediately, but the harvest will come. I mentioned a verse earlier, John 10, 10, where Christ said, I am come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. But you know, my friend, Jesus Christ came that you might have life for all eternity. A verse on the screen, a very familiar verse, John three thirty six. it said, look at the verse with me. It said, he that believeth on the Son hath what? <laughs> but he, it goes on to say, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life but the wrath of God abideth on him. Look we pleased as we close. I'm so glad that when a person comes to Christ, God forgives us, he cleanses us, and he gives us what the Bible calls eternal life. Life that lasts forever. And that comes when a person believes, trusts in Christ. He that believeth on the Son hath, means possesses right and everlasting life. But he goes on to say that he that believeth not shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Look over here, please, and we'll wrap it up for this. Illustration I use my wallet, I'm going to use the, uh, this morning, and use this verse, this illustration. i like to let this hand represent everyone here today, and let my wallet represent sin. According to the Bible, how many of us are sinners? All of us. So here we are. Here's our sin. We all have sin on us. The Bible tells us that God loves us. He loves sinners. He just hates our sin. And the reason God hates our sin is twofold. First of all, let us handle Jesus Christ. Our sin separates us from God. And also, to go to heaven, we have to be without sin. Not one sin will enter the presence of God. But the problem is we're not without sin. We all have sin on us. And the Bible says, number two, because we've sinned, there's a price tag. The wages of sin is death. And if you pay for your sin, or if I pay for my sin, we have to die and go to hell to do it. Hell, eternity in hell, is the punishment for our sin. So we're all sinners. We're all owe penalty. But here's where man is deceived also. They say, well, I know I'm a sinner pastor, but if I do more good works than bad works, maybe I'll go to heaven. So they think, well, I'll go to church and I'll read my Bible and I'll pray, and I'll pile up all kind of wonderful works, and if I do enough of those, maybe I'll get to heaven. I've had nothing wrong with good works, but it will not pay for your sin. It will not take away your sin. The payment for sin is not good works. The wages of sin is death. So we're all sinners, we all owe penalty, and we cannot save ourselves. But Jesus said, let this hand over Jesus Christ, that he that believeth on him has everlasting life. Here's what God did. That sin which separates us from God, Christ took upon himself. Though he was perfect, sinless, he never sinned, he became sin for us. And while on the cross, buried our sin and shame, God the Father punished him for what we've done wrong. The judgment of sin that I've earned, Christ took upon himself as our substitute. He died in our place, he was buried, he rose again. And he that believeth on him, trusts in him, hath ever Last in life. But listen carefully, please. He that believeth not on him. It says the wrath of God abides on him. Look at this carefully, please, more close. So here's a person that's a sinner. He cannot save himself who's never trusted Christ as Savior. And as he lives through life, God's wrath is just abiding over him. If he dies without trusting Christ, God's wrath falls and he will spend eternity in a place called hell. But that's not necessary. Jesus suffered that wrath force. When he died, he died for you. And when you trust him as your savior, he'll forgive you and cleanse you and give you eternal life. So here's the question. You can accept the payment he made for your sin or you can pay it yourself. What's the decision for you today? I don't know about you. That's a no-brainer. <laughs> I trusted Christ the one who paid it for me. I'm going to heaven. So if you haven't done that, why not do it today? Let's bow together, please. As our heads are bowed and eyes are closed, if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as Savior, why not do that today? Jesus said, he that believeth on him hath everlasting life. He gives you a home in heaven the moment you believe and you'll live there for eternity. But if you have never trusted Christ, if you have not believed on Christ, the Bible says the wrath of God abides on you. And if you die without Christ, then you'll go to a place called hell. So I encourage you, I plead with you. If you've never trusted Christ, do it today. Do it right now. You have no promise in life. You have no promise of tomorrow. So why not make that decision right now and get eternity settled by trusting Christ as your Savior You say, Pastor, I would like to do that. I want to know when I die that I'll go to heaven. I would like to trust Christ to be my Savior. How do I do that? Right now, in the quietness of your mind, you can talk to God, and you can trust Jesus to be your Savior. You can do it by the means of a simple prayer. The prayer doesn't save you. It's Christ that saves you when you trust Him. But the prayer is the means by which you place your trust in Him to be your Savior. Maybe you can just say something like this in your own thoughts as you talk to God. Just say, dear God of heaven, I admit that I'm a sinner. And because I've sinned, I've earned, I deserve your punishment. But God, I believe that Jesus, your son, was punished in my place. I believe when he died on that cross, he died for me. He died in my place to pay for my sin. I believe he was buried. I believe he rose again. And right here today, I'm trusting Christ to be my Savior. Trusting him to forgive me and to give me eternal life. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed. If that made sense to you and you trusted Christ to be your Savior, I would like to know that. I want to pray for you. I'm not going to have you forward. I'm not going to point you out. I'm not going to put you on the spot. I want to do this with head bows and eye closed. But if you did that today for the first time, and allow me to cl- include you in my closing prayer. But if you right where you at raise your hand and put it back down, indicate you trust in Christ today. You want it all? Pastor, here's my hand. I'm trusting Christ. Would you pray for me? You want it all this one? God bless you. Anybody else? Pastor, that makes sense to me. I'm trusting Christ. Would you pray for me? be your hand right high and put it back down. I trusted Christ. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you for this one indication of hand, this trusted you as Savior. Heaven is now their home. They have eternal life. What a great Comfort, that is, to know that truth. I pray, Father, that they and all of us that know Christ will share that good news with others, that we will live our lives in such a way that we will reap and more what we sow, more than we sow, and later than we sow, that of the Spirit and not of the flesh. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.